0: Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the first part of our full interview with Bob Stark, where we discuss artificial intelligence impact on treasury, its potential, and challenges. Bob Stark is a trailblazer in enterprise liquidity, payments, and risk management. As the driving force behind the multi-product go-to-market strategy, Bob's expertise fuels valuation and growth whilst also forging a new grant for the future of financial technology. Kiriba is renowned for its treasury management system, a comprehensive solution that offers automated cash management, seamless bank connectivity, strategic liquidity planning, streamlined payments, and efficient working capital features. In the episode of today, expect to learn what are the basics of AI and machine learning, what is the difference between AI API, and OPA, how can AI enhance sanction screening and cash flow forecasting, what represents the guiding light for AI in treasury, and like always, much, much more. We were very much looking forward to recording and releasing this episode. Bob is a reference in the world of treasury and quite a podcast enthusiast, as you will soon hear But his knowledge in artificial intelligence and the application he sees for Treasury left us speechless. We truly hope you will enjoy this episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The only way we can get more and more amazing guests like Bob and get more people to learn about Treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear and maybe learn a thing or two, please consider following the show, leaving a review, or sharing this episode to help others discover it too. And with all that being said, please welcome Bob Stark.
1: Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show. So we want to touch on AI and treasury, uh, something that is a huge buzzword in the world at the moment, and it's only a matter of time until treasury um, also joins the hype of this revolution technology. So could you take us through what are the existing and potential use cases of AI and treasury at the moment? Like starting at what's actually done today, but take it like as far as sci-fi will let us imagine treasury could ever reach with AI. <laughs>
2: Like the way you asked that, there's a lot of people that have a new imagination based on the proliferation of generative AI and chat GPT over the past year. But before we get to all that fun, let's go backwards a little bit because the origins of, I say AI, I almost want to say AI in quotes. I hate it when people do that, but I just did it anyways. AI, almost its origins in treasury really go back to what is really rules-based automation. And it's the whole quest to how can I automate more of what I do today? So we've seen some of these burgeoning technologies like RPA, robotic process automation, which dare say some people call AI. A whole different conversation on that, but we'll just say for simplicity, we saw a lot of organizations look at what can I do with RPA to effectively connect systems, processes, even platforms that weren't connecting already. So that's where we saw where vendors were maybe doing it. You had maybe your SAP and Oracle, and you didn't have a connected ecosystem. And as a result, what happened is that you needed some sort of additional automation. That's where we entered things like RPA. You would have IT groups that said, oh, here's a bot. And then suddenly Treasury started having access to bots. And then we saw this wave of RPA enter in Treasury. Very positive thing. Like, I don't say anything bad about that, except that it's not AI. And so you would find these bots could only do what you asked it to. Now, maybe it can log into SAP or Oracle, find your perfect accounts payable or accounts receivable aging report. something you could use in your cash forecast, create that file export, be able to then make it available to your treasury system, have the treasury system, either it's API or some sort of custom routine to import process and then view. And that series of steps RPA was really good for, but we all know with dumb automation or programmatic automation, it only will do what you tell it to do. And it's not able to learn from anything. Certainly wasn't able to do anything with that data that you weren't able to predict. So take from that, we'll call it the very far left of the AI continuum, my opinion off the continuum, but some people will say it's the very far left. We get into more machine learning. And machine learning, what's been around in treasury, I don't know, I'm going to say five years. I'm sure I got checked by someone that says, no, it's been six and a half or seven or eight or whatever. But let's just say, it's been five-ish years, and in its very infant state, in its early state, we were seeing it for very structured data. So data that was very organized and allowed us to make very simple conclusions such as, let's look at accounts receivable as an example. Here's what a accounts receivable data, like here's what their, our ERP system said in terms of our AR, and we think, hmm, we can probably do better than that based on some of the history and clearing patterns that we knew about in Treasury, such as this customer doesn't pay on time, this customer doesn't pay in full, they short pay or whatever sort of things are going on within the receivable side. As a result, we may make some adjustments over the clearing date and the amount from a cash forecast perspective. We may say it's going to happen a different time and it's going to be in a different amount. And as a result, we make that slight adjustment to our receivables forecast. That's something that's existed for a handful of years now, and it's basic machine learning. Nothing wrong with it. Like Even today, you ask a treasurer, and we could, and they will say, oh, I don't have that. That sounds very interesting. Like It's still a little bit of new age. And I think you know this goes to your question of what are we seeing today? Well, we're seeing some technology that has been there for a little while, but we're not seeing it fully implemented, even for that basic use case. Now, let me throw another use case at you because cash forecasting, it's almost too easy. Let's talk about fraud, payments fraud specifically. In payments fraud, the way that we like to compose, I like to call it a a payments journey. So when I say a payments journey, what I mean is that it originates, whether it's treasury, initiates in the AP system, you know, Oracle, SAP, NetSuite, Microsoft, wherever. It's initiating somewhere. Then there's a journey for it to get to the bank. And yes, some people will say, oh, it doesn't need to go to a bank anymore because there's a variety of different, you know, we'll call it payment networks, fine. But in the end, we'll just call it simple ERP to bank. In that ERP to bank journey, there's a number of things that need to happen. One of those is screening against a set of rules or scenarios that you want built in to your, we'll call it compliance or governance process into that payment journey. So... The examples, these aren't AI related, but they're just part of that payment journey. A lot of organizations like to do sanction list screening before it gets sent to the bank. That's a wonderful example because typically you just let the bank worry about it. But these days, we're finding that there's more of an interest in being able to understand, is this payment on a sanction list or is the beneficiary of the payment on a sanction list, yes or no? Same thing with bank account ownership. You know, I want to validate that what's in my payment instruction actually is owned by the vendor that I think I'm paying. In the case of a third party payment, so these are just typical things of the payment journey that are very just, you know, check a database, do a validation. You know, use systems like LexisNexis, Act, et etc. That most treasurers are pretty familiar with. In the AI part, we probably have more of custom or at least more specific scenarios that a customer would have. So let's just look at maybe something as simple as is, if it's a duplicate payment, maybe it's the same amount in the same week, we should probably pull that out and have a little check. You know, just put a little quarantine, uh, have a review and make sure we actually have human eyes on it as opposed to just processing in a machine automated way. There might be other things. So let's just say we had a normal, regular type of payment sequence, maybe as weekly to that particular vendor or as monthly or whatever the sequence was. And what we're trying to do is say, If there's anything outside of that scenario, like perhaps it's just, yeah, it's this week's payment to them or it's this month's payment to them, but it's just a little bit more. Maybe it's double the amount. Maybe it's 50% bigger, whatever the threshold. Some sort of governance around that that just says this doesn't look normal. Now, if we think of AI, we don't need AI for some of those things. We can programmatically just use rules-based to say if it's 50% bigger payment than normal, check it or whatever the threshold might be, or if you know, our business typically is in North America, you know Canada, US, Mexico as an example, then, and this is a payment that's going to, I don't know, North Korea, just for fun, then maybe that's something we want to yank out because it's not in those three countries we typically do business in. These are the sorts of scenarios that are very predictable and you can program. What's not so predictable is what I'm going to call it more pattern-based. And is there enough about this payment that deviates from prior behavior? And that's where we get into AI. At its infant level, machine learning, maybe more cognitive AI, like a little bit more structured, uh, where we're not actually looking at a certain field. We're just looking at the overall behavior. What we've been able to do is say, we've been able to train it, especially if we have never seen fraud in our organization. We'll be able to train this as in, here's what a good payment looks like. Now we haven't had fraud or we haven't had very much of it we can't train it what a fraudulent payment looks like so we have to kind of train it as good not good which sounds very double negative and i totally appreciate that when i say it but you know i think we know what we mean there is that it is important to be able to use almost like an adversarial approach which is a technique in, in in data and artificial intelligence to be able to identify what's a not good payment in addition to all of these different compliance checks and rules that I would have put in. And so what it gives us in a payments journey is it gives us, we have our sanction list. Let's just pretend that was a thing that we wanted to do. We have our bank account ownership validation verification. We have our other sorts of scenarios, such as we don't pay vendors in North Korea. Well, I'm picking on them today, but I'm just going to. Uh, we also have other scenarios, such as it's a regular payment and this is an irregular some sort of characteristic, which again, are all programmatic and there's a variety of those. Most organizations have dozens of those in their payment policy. Just scenarios that would maybe be something we need to look further at. And then we add on that layer of artificial intelligence to identify in total, but also in general, which I think is the bigger important piece here. In general, does this align with the types of payments and the behavior of those payments that we're typically used to sending? And I like to use this example because it allows us to understand, here's examples where we use APIs to vendors like Gaiac, LexisNexis, Microsoft, all these ones that the banks use as well. And then here's example of rules-based automation, which is very infant and certainly works in a nice scenario, but it has its limitations. And then here's where the continuum progresses so that we actually see the role of artificial intelligence in addition to these other types of technology. I know it's a very exhaustive way to kind of back into that answer, but that's what Treasury needs to think about when we look at what are the use cases for this? How can this help us? You need to understand, well, what doesn't it do or what doesn't it artificial intelligence, what does AI not need to do for us that can be solved in different ways to then be very specific about the role of AI for things like payments or cash forecasts?
1: I didn't hear the sci-fi answer though, Bob. I think oh. it was a great overview of like rule-based automation all the way to like, you know, what we could, what we are seeing today and the areas where it's already interesting to implement and then the principally apply to it. But shoot for the moon here. What's the, assume you could have a general AI, which I think most people today know is is the North Star where AI is trying to go, but most people say we'll never reach, et cetera. What could a Treasury department achieve with something as far as that or just one step before
2: well I think we can do many steps so yes let's dive into that so if you look at our North Star I think it's fair to say moved in the past twelve months even as we're going to the recording this you know later in the summer what we saw at the end of 2022 was this rise of chat GPT and now there's a whole We'll call it category generative AI and large language models. This has changed the way that every treasurer that I work with, and even CFOs that are starting to get more involved as sort of chief data officers informal title, but nonetheless involved in this management and having a data strategy for finance. They're starting to realize AI was it was this far away. I know it's hard to show visually, but you get the idea. It was it was we were, there's some distance to where we were. And AI, and no one, I don't say no one, but very few really had a good assessment and understand, you know, what can AI do for me right now? You know, the basic examples that we just went through, people would understand that. But even then, they might not have been implementing it. Chat GPT suddenly, right in front of us, anyone literally could do it. You can just type in a question and it gives you an answer and you think, wow, that was wonderful. Now I can ask. And your brain starts working in terms of what could I do with this conversational type tool, which is almost like you said, you know, what's one step away? What's what's the first uh, vault for we can use? Well, the first thing forward is to leverage the benefit of large language models and the automation that a chat GPT or generative AI allows. And what that would be is introduce that level of conversation into your treasury platforms. So as an example, ask, you know, if you're using Power BI or Click or Tableau, you know, asking that, why is my cash forecast wrong? Ask your treasury system, well, what's going on here? What's the explains this variance? When is the right time to go into the market and borrow? Depending on the large language model and the intelligence behind the scenes, which is still evolving today, you will get some sort of answer, which may be really good. Or maybe we'll say room for improvement, but we're now recognizing the use case has become much more crystal clear in our vision, so we can go, I can understand that I could stop using my mouse right now, and I can envision that point where I start asking my treasury system questions. That technology exists today, you know, there's tools, I'm not going to go promote anything that I'm doing at Kariba, but we'll just say there's tools that, uh, that allow that to happen. And it's not hard to do using these capabilities. And what that looks like is wherever you're consuming and organizing managed data, we'll call it like analytics is basically the category that I'm talking about, that practice and using analytics to make sense of the mound of data that treasurers have in front of them. You can start using chat GPT and tools like it, whether they're embedded in your system or if they're not embedded in your system, you're just using by API, being able to then get them, you know, the tool, the AI tool, access to your data and start asking questions of it. Tell me what I'm missing here. Tell me what I need to know. Help me find meaning in forecast variance. Why is this a fraudulent transaction? Why did you select this one into my quarantine for further review? You know, these are the sorts of things. Never mind just being able to automate and simplify the processing, filtering, and sorting of information. So we'll call that, you know, to your question, what's what's the very next look like? That's what the very next looks like. The next beyond that is where it gets, I think, a bit more interesting because just being able to throw away your mouse and start talking to your treasury system, you know, and I say like really talking to it. I mean, yes, right now you're typing, but we all know how to use Siri and things like that. It's just a moment before you start interacting verbally with it. That gets us somewhere. But it's the automation that you can build in terms of having these tools build the programming To then go to the next level. And it's that plus this concept of the large language model, which really is where we need a lot of evolution. That's where it's still a little bit infant. You know, we look at in ChatGBT, it's a wonderful large language model. Every time we use it, we're training the model to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, this is one would assume the master vision behind what Microsoft wants to do with it is to basically productize it in a way that it could be available to improve your spreadsheets in Excel, improve your PowerPoint. Hey, you know, chat GPT, make my PowerPoint look way better than it does today. Like these sort of next level processing. If we apply that in that same thinking in treasury, it would be not organizing and understanding or getting access to data, not having it present the data you already have in the system, but take that next level of, tell me what I should do with this. Should I hedge this exposure as an example? Should I actually borrow right now, given what Powell just said? I'm saying this when we're recording it. Powell probably said something different by the time we publish it. But point is, is that if we're holding on interest rates with the possibility of a little bit higher, what does that mean? Should we buy back our fixed rate debt now at a discount? Should we issue more debt? Should we actually stay short uh, given the shape of the yield curve? These are all decisions that Treasury needs expertise and experience to make with the, lar- the possibility of large language models, that allows us to go into that next level of AI actually giving us recommendations and, scarily enough, if you will, being able to automatically execute those within parameters or boundaries that you've set for it. The technology, in terms of you know, what generative AI can do right now, has given us a view to what that looks like. I wouldn't say that every aspect of this technology is quite evolved enough and mature enough to allow CFOs and treasurers, who are obviously very analytical, very numbers oriented, and also very precise, to be comfortable in letting AI do that right now. But I think we've all seen in the past 12 months, oh, I can see now where this is going. And obviously, you know, I'm part of a vendor in terms of providing treasury solutions, we saw the exact same thing. And it was immediately obvious to us what customers would rightly expect of their treasury systems in the very near future. They expect conversational, they expect extra layer of automation, and they ultimately expect maybe through APIs or maybe embedded right in the platform, the ability to leverage these in to drive more data-driven decision-making. So I know there's a lot to unpack there, but that's kind of what the next looks like. And as I said, you know, you asked about what's that North Star? I don't think that was the North Star 12 months ago before really CHAP-GPT became a bit more democratized. But it's certainly every financial team, whether it's Treasury, whether it's AP, whether it's controllers, whether it's the IT team within finance, which by the way, gets really excited about this stuff, especially when they're trying to support their treasury partners and say, Hey, you know we really need this data lake. we don't really need these tools because we can start building AI into that. They're all thinking that way now makes makes a lot of sense Bob so what will be what will be the
0: little name of my Kiribati system when i'll be able to to talk to him or her actually if it's not Siri what
2: what should i say hey that's <laughs> it's a good question i I think that there's definitely room for branding there's definitely room for marketing in this. I think in the end whatever technology you're using for the actual, we'll call it the speech part of it, the interaction, the engagement part of it, underlying it is going to be these layers of generative AI tools. Generative AI is, is absolutely that future. The fun part that I like anyway is that AI on its own is it's really nice and it's a fun conversation and it'll entertain us, obviously, through this podcast. But it's, it's really about having a data strategy and having ai be able to be the recipient of that data when i say the recipient of that data i mean that we first need to make sure that we have apis apis unify data around the enterprise it allows us to have this pool of data that ai can then be you know wow ai here i am i get to jump on this data and start learning whether it's structured unstructured both Uh, that's where we're going to go with that then The APIs, this kind of gets back to your, you know, is it a Siri embedded in your treasury system? Well, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's Siri. Maybe it's, you know, BARD, I guess, is Microsoft or Google, sorry. Whatever it is, um, whether it's third-party technology, whether it's basically proprietary technology, we know that's not too far away from us. I mean, right now, the pieces are all there, even if they're not composed in a way that most treasury teams are, they're not really talking to their systems. Whether it's ERP, whether it's their apps, whether it's the trading portal, it's FXL three hundred and sixty T, it's their you know RFP software. I mean, there's a variety of tools. You know, there's dozens of software applications that treasurers use. They're not composing all those pieces just yet, but and that's where I say APIs are kind of a critical one. And I like to talk about them a lot because you need to have a data strategy, and it needs to be based on what APIs are doing. And I don't mean for things like bank connectivity, like that's a whole different discussion. Like whether you use APIs to connect to your banks or whether you use host to host, whether you use Swift, I'm not really fussed on that. Whatever the bank supports, what the bank supports. I'm talking about in terms of having your data. I want instant visibility into my cache. I want instant visibility into data surrounding the cache uh, that comes from other parts of the organization. And I want that as a single repository so that I can ask the questions I want to ask either by voice tight, using your mouse and keyboard, whatever means you want to use. So I can actually decide, here's what I want my algorithms, my artificial intelligence to learn from. APIs are the critical thing. If you don't have APIs, you don't have all the data you need. You certainly don't have it instantly enough to start having any sort of, I'll call it real-time treasury processing. You're going to be embargoed if you're not getting enough information available to you. So the actual you know, pieces of it, Kriba's platform, I mean, I can just say right now, it will be called Kariba, but and whatever we embed is going to be called Kariba something. But candidly, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to use third-party technology. Like every app that exists, um, you know, Treasury is its own little ecosystem, but in fairness, it's part of a composite technology that surrounds the ERP as well. So these, these composable technologies, you're going to be utilizing third-party things. Like you're going to use the equivalent of a Siri or a BART or something like that. You're going to use algorithms that are not completely provided by the vendor. You're going to use those through API as part of your journey. You know, just like we do on the payment fraud side. You know, the examples where we talked about the payment journey, one of those, you know, I mentioned like Guy which is a very popular platform, um, you know, early warning. That's the one that is going to be utilized Uh, by by banks, and probably by a lot of corporates, API needs to make that happen in a real-time view. So APIs are going to provide some elements of this technology. There's going to be IT groups that say, hey, we got our AI strategy all figured out for you, Treasury. All we need is to make sure that the Treasury system, the Treasury platform, is API, like open API, so that we can make sure that all of this scripting is happening. All of this engagement is happening, the data is flowing in and out, so that whatever we are doing, whatever we need, can connect and can process in real time. That has to be the minimum base level standard. Without having that minimum base level, then you're going to be sitting there thinking, okay, I don't have the data I need, or I don't have all of the data I need, which is you know, a partial data problem is, is a problem, because suddenly you're not giving it the full picture. You're not benefiting from some of the learning and application and generation of new data sets or augmenting the existing data that you really needed to do
0: yeah
2: and i like that you
0: bring this topic actually so i understand that api will be a major enabler of a powerful ai supported and power treasury what's what are the other challenges if not limitations of ai in general but i guess what's What we are the most interested by is in treasury. What are the challenges and then the limitations around this?
2: Yeah, so I'll reiterate the first one because it is the most important by far. And that's that you need to have a data strategy where you're very clear on what is your AI being trained on. Because in order to train it, you know, typically, and I'll go back to sort of the more traditional machine learning type of algorithm, you need at least five, ten thousand. 10,000 data points to be able to train it, to have reasonable, you know, it's a, kind of like a survey. You need a reasonable sample size to make deductions. AI needs that sample size in order to make reasonable uh, decisions or agitations about what you expect to see. So that's first and foremost a data strategy. If you don't have a data strategy, that's a challenge in itself, but we'll just park that and say, then you need your systems and your tech stack to align to that data strategy. So what is your, as an example, what's your treasury system of record? For some, it's going to be your treasury management system. For others, it's going to be your ERP. For some, it's going to be both. Fair enough. Um, Sometimes you're going to have a data warehouse or a data lake. Um, For some, that's only a data cabin. And as a result, you need to think through what is my source of record? Because what I don't want to be doing is having all these shallow processes. I want to make sure that everything is concentrated so that when I'm teaching it, when I'm receiving the benefits of that, I'm seeing, let's just say it's like cash and liquidity information in one spot so I can have the best available to it. So that's a necessity, but it's also a limitation if you don't have that data strategy completely sorted out. And a lot of organizations don't because that idea of data strategy used to be more IT-centric. Treasurers didn't use to speak that language. CFOs didn't used to you know, be storytellers and data officers. Now they do. Treasury needs to fall in line with that. And sometimes that's a bit of a shift. In terms of another challenge, and this is actually a big one, especially when we're talking about generative AI, we have to think about security of our data. And it's not just the protection of the data. I mean, I think, I'm not saying that's obvious. The concept we need to protect our data is an obvious statement. The how to do that, generally speaking, if you have your data strategy and your tech stack aligned to that, then you know what systems you should be using. You know what the minimum standard of governance and controls should be. And you have, you know, we'll just say, the audit and controls to ensure that this aligns with our governance and our compliance internally. Presuming you have all that set up, that's not the security that we're talking about. If we don't have all that set up, we're definitely needing to have that conversation. But if assuming that you're checked off on that, then it's around the security of the information. And this is where ChatGPT and tools like it, generative AI, they have a ways to go before, no, maybe not ways, that makes it sound like it's years. They have some room to grow. We'll say it that way. And I want to put a timestamp on this one. That we need almost closed language models. Large language models by definition are more open. If you use, say, ChatGPT, Tell me a treasury policy. Tell me, you know, what I should do for disaster recovery or business continuity. And it gives you an answer. Maybe you feed a little bit more information to get more precise answer. You are helping, you know, build that large language model, rightly so. You know, this is open AI. It's that name for a reason. It's open source, right? So, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that inherently, except that the moment you want to start feeding data into it, a lot of treasurers have recognized or been told to recognize that maybe this is a little bit too sensitive information to give this tool, which can then integrate it into its overall data management processing and advice that it gives when you ask it questions. Like, what is a good cash flow variance, as an example? What is the right level of balances to hold in my accounts? How do I optimize, you know, earnings credit, the American concept, Versus what I need to invest in money markets. like These are the sorts of things that ultimately you would expect to be asking your AI model, but you almost don't want to disclose too much. You don't want to be saying, well, we have this much cash, which may not be publicly available information, and give me the right strategy to invest that. That's where we need a little bit more security around the data so that we feel comfortable that, what we are asking it is still privately held, and we're not quite there yet. So as an example, I'll give a very crevice-centric answer. We use ChatGPT for a lot of different things. We obviously play with it in our in our dev environments in a obviously a very controlled way, so we're not uh, letting it access client data or anything like that. All sorts of the, the right walls exist. And so we play with that to understand what is actually happening here so that we're very conscious when we fully integrate that in the production world that we've set the right parameters, set the right expectations and communicate how it works. So we'll just call that, we'll, we'll call it a sandbox area. What we don't do with chat CPT is any sort of privileged information never sees that tool yet because we don't feel confident that it's ready for that and we don't feel confident in terms of how that data gets used. Anything that's public facing, so as an example, like our marketing team will utilize Generative AI chat GPT for translations. And they're fantastic for that. And so as a result, those translations, uh, because it's stuff that's publicly available on our website, it's no concern if they say, oh, that was a wonderfully bitten, you know, written bit of text. Let's just use that next time someone asks about how to translate, you know, this to Spanish, German, or French. These are the sorts of things you almost have to expect that it's part of the public domain. And that's why I say when I say security, it's not just Can someone hack into this flow of information from system to system? Uh, That is important, but it's the, what happens with my data? Do I actually see control of my data? And am I comfortable with what that may or may not look like until there's more maturity and more uh, provision around that aspect? So that's probably, I could probably say it in different words, but in the end, data is important and we need to be sensitive to it. And we need to understand what that's providing for us.
1: Can I, ask, can I challenge that a little bit? So you, you mentioned that um, AIs, we'd be able to ask you questions on policy. What should I do with this? And, and what's the right way to address this? Even humans answering that question are often just providing an opinion, right? Different treasurers will come up with different strategies for the same uh, industry, for the same company even, uh, or for different roles, right? It's it's usually a Opinion based as well. Um, how good can AI be if humans can't can only provide an opinion? What do you think of you?
2: Well, that's that's the first. Is, is is this advice, uh, which is the world that we're waiting into right now, is this better? I mean, it, it's not even a treasury question specifically. It's more of like I'll just use the translation example. Does it do a better translation than, let's say, into French or Spanish? than someone is native speaking able to do well maybe maybe not i mean it takes an aggregation of we'll call it opinions and generates an output based on that is that better in the person's judgment maybe yes maybe no i look at that you know my french is fine but not perfect by any means i'm not a native speaker so i look at that translation i think no oh, that's pretty good uh that'll work Someone that natively speaks that will say, Oh, no, no, needs to be this instead of that. Same thing with a treasury policy. The way that I would look at managing uh, excess cash is I might have a much more conservative view in terms of retaining cash balances because I don't trust my forecast. That's going to fuel the way you look at maintaining cash in your accounts. It may, the way you look at cross border payments and the ability to fund pools um, around the globe and your ability to do that at speed and mobilize that and maybe it didn't work one time, you know, a couple of years ago. So you're a little biased by that experience. These are all things that form our opinions of what we should do. What we see right now is that this offers an opinion. I liked your word on that. It's a recommendation. It's an opinion that you can choose to use or not use. And it's just the same thing, right? You can have it write an essay for you if you're in college. You can choose to use it, maybe at some risk, potentially, now that people are onto that. But you can choose to use it or not. Same thing with the translation, same thing with the data, same thing with any sort of interpretation, whether quantitative, empirical, or more, we'll call it language-based. That is the biggest question. Do I want to rely on this output? We're early on in you know, the chat, GPT, generative AI, large language models, very early. These large language models, I mean, OpenAI came out, they said, well, they were only current to 2021. Um, Now they're becoming more current because we are basically updating it for them. You know, good on us. (laughs) They should be thanking us for it as opposed to charging us. But point is, is that that still, it's just an accumulation of information that gives you maybe more of a socialized response. You may not want the socialized response. You may want it as a hmm, that's interesting. You know, just like if you read something on Twitter or X, you know, about something very contentious, I may not like what everyone's saying. I may not like what the aggregate answer is. I have my own opinion. Same thing with Treasury. So I would say it's a data point, maybe something that you utilize, but that's part of where the evolution needs to come that evolution needs to be where we know what its role is we are confident in the data that it used to get to whatever conclusion whether language conclusion like an advice recommendation or maybe a calculation and we need to then understand exactly how do we want to use that do we want the full scope of automation i mean to your point we could automate everything but do we want to Is that safe? Does that align with our opinions and expertise around what the governance should be? These questions probably weren't asked and haven't been formulated enough, which is part of the learning that we need to do with these tools. That's why I say, is Treasury ready to fully adopt generative AI? No, because partly it's the data, partly it's the open close of the models. And then the third part is exactly what you said do I think this opinion is better than what I can come up with myself? And if the answer is anything other than a resounding yes, 100% of the time, then you need some sort of validation or checkpoint, which means you're not ready for complete end-to-end automation with AI.
1: I like that insight. I like the fact that you said it's an aggregation of opinions and therefore can probably, as, as we understand it today and how we understand it going today, uh, would only ever be as good as an aggregation of opinions. Perhaps you can bias it towards being more conservative versus being more aggressive, uh, using your FX for just being risk-averse, as opposed to speculation in the market. You could probably put some parameters in there to sway it one way or the other, but it also be aggregation. You're never, as far as we understand it today, never going to be able to get a like an outlier, a new-to-the-world opinion that perhaps a human might be able to come up with. That's not the way the, L, the large language models today are set up. Is that the right way to summarize what you said? I
2: think it's a very good way to summarize it. And, and I agree wholeheartedly that we're in fit in this journey. And as of now, if you look at generative AI is predicated on, on large language models. The large language model is either too large or not large enough based on the use case that we're talking about. That needs to be solved for. And so we're going to see a whole set, and I was going to say not, it's not an industry, it's industries, plural, built upon what can this concept of genitive AI be able to deliver to us. That set is going to be, you know, exactly as, you th- as, as we're saying here, is I need something that's an outlier. I need something that's a, and this is a very vague language, but I need an aggressive play to reduce my cost of hedging. I want to actually look at things like parametric var. I want to look at what everyone else does. These are all different inputs that you can ultimately train to be able to drive what the output's going to be. Like, I hate to use that analogy, like garbage in, garbage out, because it's so obvious in itself. And it really, it doesn't tell us everything we need to know about how we manage our data. But I will use that because how, it helps us remind or it reminds ourselves that what you train it with is should be very very intentional in terms of what you expect it to do so you may say from an fx standpoint i know how to hedge i know how to use a forward contract i know how to hedge euro against usd it's not rocket science i learned it in school and i still do it today in real life like fair enough tell me my worst case scenario maybe that's the way you want to use AI to be able to tell you what's the worst that can happen if and, and then train even on a scenario which is maybe more an option based scenario maybe you're comfortable using spots forwards and, and swaps but you haven't in real life used options you just remember them from college now we want to start using them tell me how i protect myself because this is the guidance this is the cash flow guidance that we need to meet for our organization right cfo's ceo gave us guidance quarterly ahead of time. Here's what our cash flow needs to be. We have a lot of, say, currency volatility to affect that. And we need to be in this band. How do I make sure that we're in this band? That's the kind of expectation we don't have today. I mean, just thinking, how do I ask a chat that and expect a good answer today? But let's just say fast forward six months, nine months, 12 months from now, it's not out of the realm of expectation that it can give me some guidance of what I should be doing perhaps even a full-fledged recommendation. And so that's where we need to, it almost becomes us as consumers, what do we want out of it will help us decide what we invest in it. And it may be certain types of tools. It may be certain types of vendors that are working in a certain direction. It might be certain sets of we need this data, but we don't need this data. You know, It doesn't matter what everyone else in the world does we need to make sure we're, it's specific to us at ABC organizations.